0: is coming um he is now gonna be here in less than two months you guys it's crazy it's coming up so soon due date is march 31st so place your bets now on whether he'll be march or april we will see coming up so fast our other son leland is officially not a baby anymore he's like full-on toddler it's crazy. The reason I know this is because he started doing things. You know how babies really only, like, cry and sleep and poop? Like, that's pretty much all they do, right? And eat. Yeah. It's, like, basic human functions. They can't can't even, like, I don't know if you guys know this. Like, babies can't smile for, like, the first month of their life. They can't, like, they can't even really see when they're born. They can see, like, um, light and dark. That's pretty much it. It's pretty crazy. Um, So, He's far beyond that. He's a full-on toddler. He started doing some very adult things lately. This is how I know he's no longer a baby. For example, he started putting his hands in his pockets. We have a picture of it. It's so cute. And you guys, no one taught him this. Like, he just all of a sudden started putting his hands in his pockets and, like, walking around with his hands in his pockets. (laughs) it's absolutely hilarious. (laughs) No one taught him to do this. It's amazing. He also loves to help us cook and bake. And like as soon as I go in the kitchen around dinner time, he immediately goes and gets a chair and starts pushing it over. But here's the funniest, cutest part. Like we didn't teach him. We didn't show him like how to stir. But if you give him a spoon and a bowl... Like, he immediately just knows, like, this needs to be stirred. So although Brussels sprouts, like, don't actually need to be stirred, he believes they need to be stirred. The other thing, you guys, this one's a video that he just started doing was baby Glory was over at our house and in our front yard, and we, sh- we put her in the swing, and it was like, oh, you know, maybe Leland can, like, you know, interact with her in the swing. And we we brought him behind the swing. Tyler was holding him. And he just knew to push her on the swing, even though he had never pushed anybody. And there's a really cute video that we have of that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Keep keep the push on the swing. Almost almost got up there (laughs) to the head. I was like... (laughs) Like, pray now for their future relationship, because that would just be the cutest thing to show ever at their wedding or something. Just saying, just saying, speaking it into existence. (laughs) Right now, Tyler and I totally define what it means to live and operate as a human in the world for Leland, right? Like he, he figures out what it means to be a human, which apparently means for him putting his hands in his pockets, stirring things and pushing little babies on a swing like that's what he thinks it means to be human and that's that's both really amazing that we have that and also really big responsibility like it's kind of terrifying that he looks to us to define what it means to be human right but you guys that's what we're doing as disciples of christ too okay check this out so we're looking to the example of jesus to know how to live See, we look at how he acted, how he thought, how he talked to people, how he talked to God, how he treated people and interacted with him. And we put those same things into practice when we act and think and talk and interact with God and others. And hopefully this is obvious, but that doesn't mean we're trying to live the exact same life as a Palestinian man in the first century. God actually decided when and where you would be born. The Bible says that a long time ago. And he wants to accomplish purposes through me and through you uniquely in your context with who you are. And see, what helps me to understand this is to think about how Jesus would live if he were me. Like seriously, like if he were Heather, how would he live? So I ask myself, if Jesus was a woman and he was a mom and a wife, which he wasn't, and he was living in L.A. in 2020, which he doesn't, how would he act and think and talk and be and interact with God and others? If he had my situation, how would he live my life? Because even though he wasn't those things when he walked around Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, he does live in me now. And he has a purpose uniquely designed for my life. And so how would Jesus live your life? Like seriously, if he were a high school student in your family, in your classes, having lived through your life experiences, the good, the bad, and the ugly, because Jesus had the good, the bad, and the ugly life experiences, how would he act and think and talk? How would he treat the people in your life? How would he arrange his day? Like, what would he prioritize in his day if he were you? Because here's the other thing: it's not just that Leland saw a picture of someone once putting his hands in his pockets, right? He didn't like watch a cooking show and see a chef some one time like stirring a pot, and then all of a sudden he started doing it at one years old. <laughs> Leland didn't, like, watch a video of someone being pushed on a swing and then be like, oh, I think I'll try that next time. No, it's because he lives daily experiential life with Tyler and I that it gets ingrained in him, and then he imitates what he sees us do every single day. He watches and notices and imitates. This is beautifully expressed in one of my favorite Parts of the Bible. It's Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, and this is the message version. It says this Watch what God does, and then you do it. Like children who, are in proper behavior from their parents, mostly what God does is love you, keep company with Him, and learn a life of love. Observe how Christ loved us. That's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to observe how Christ loved us through the story in Luke. His love was not cautious, but extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us, but to give everything of himself to us. Love like that. In this series, Kingdom Now, we're talking about how the gospel is a story of how God became king and is now bringing his kingdom or his way of doing things to earth. If you really want to live a kingdom of God life now, kingdom now, you have to be in a relationship with the king, interacting with him and experiencing his life daily. And just as Leland lives a daily experiential life with Tyler and I and learns what daily life consists of as a human, when you follow Jesus, and do daily experiential life with him, you learn what kingdom of God can, life consists of as a new human. You guys, this is good stuff. Are you living daily experiential life with Jesus in a way where it just becomes natural to imitate what he's doing, how he's treating people, the way that he thinks, the way that he acts? See, when we do life with Jesus, we learn to do life like Jesus. That's a point on your handout. When we do life with Jesus, we learn to do life like Jesus. Those handouts are going to be under your seats. See, we're going to look at a story tonight in Luke. I'm so excited about it. That gives us an up-close and personal experience with how Jesus lived. And we're going to find out what it means for how we should live our own lives as well. Are you guys ready for this? All right, let's pray. God, we're just so thankful for your presence, Lord, that we can access every single day. Lord, that we can read your word and not just have it be stale words on a page that's been printed, Lord, but the living word of God that actually speaks to us and transforms the way that we live. Thank you, God, that we can experience your presence in worship, that we can experience your presence in our rooms, that we can experience your presence in the car or in a crowded room of people, Lord, and that we can be transformed By the way that you live and love and act. In Jesus' name, speak to us tonight, we pray. Amen. So we've made it to chapter eight in our series, Kingdom Now, where we're going through the Gospel of Luke. Give your guys, like, just give yourself a round of applause. Like, we're doing it. Yeah, we're there. We're in the Word. We're on chapter eight. Here we go. The first verse of Luke chapter 8, and we want to pay attention to this because even though Luke didn't write it with verses and chapters, the people who decided on the verses of the chapters were led by the Spirit of God, and they could determine that in a literary way. This was a new section. So this new section, Luke decided to start it like this. It says, soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. This could be our whole text for the night. It's so good. Because this section of Luke, it opens up with this statement that Jesus was proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. I don't want us to just breeze past this, okay? So just stick with me for a minute. See, he wasn't just proclaiming. As in, he wasn't just like talking about the kingdom of God, but not really living it out. And he wasn't just bringing without using his words to explain his actions. See, sometimes we might find ourselves doing a lot of talking about God, but we're not actually doing anything about what we're saying about God. And other times we might be doing a lot, but we're just hoping people would notice and we're not using our words to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. See, what Jesus is doing is both. He's proclaiming and bringing the kingdom of God. And as we read, we should pay attention to the words that proclaim the kingdom of God and his actions that bring the kingdom of God. So the next slide has that on there, and we're going to fill that in. His words that proclaim the kingdom of God and his actions that bring the good news of the kingdom of God, the cog. We sometimes call ourselves mogs and wogs, right? So I'm going to say mogs and wogs for the cog. This is happening. It's going to be a thing. All right, so as we go in this story, pay attention, right? Jesus's words, Jesus's actions. Let's go. Moving on. So back to how Luke continues in his opening section. He says, soon afterward, he went on through the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the 12 were with him, meaning the 12 disciples, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. There was Mary called Magdalene, whom seven demons had gone out of, Joanna, wife of Chuza, who was Herod's household manager, and Susanna and many others who provided for him out of their means. This is awesome, you guys, because followers of Jesus who were traveling with him during his ministry in these cities and villages were both men and women. And see, this mixed-gender entourage is radically different from what would have been usual for that time in that culture, right? Some women who had been healed by Jesus were with him. At least one one woman who was married was with him. Other women that were providing for Jesus' ministry out of their own financial means, which means that they had financial means. And if that wasn't okay with Jesus, he would have stopped it. Levi said that yesterday, and I was like, yeah, I'm going to put that in there. (laughs) See, it's revealing something about who Jesus is as a king. He was purposely going against cultural norms because, get this, the work of proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God requires the participation of both men and women. And see, we see another example of the power of this, of Jesus's radically different treatment of women later on in Luke 8, okay? The story picks up here, same chapter. Now, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus's feet, he implored him to come to his house For he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. And just to pause here, don't you love that this this dad in the Bible is just caring so much about his little only daughter? You know, we hear a lot about firstborn sons. Yes, awesome, I have a firstborn son. But I just also love that this man, this powerful man, this synagogue leader, is like traveling to find someone to help his baby girl, (laughs) as Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all of her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. So okay, we have this crowd of people, right? And they're waiting for and welcoming Jesus. Great start. Let's always have that posture. And amongst them is a man, Jairus, who is an important leader in the community. And he falls at the feet of Jesus, and he begs for Jesus to come with him, right, to heal his baby girl. And then there's this woman who also had financial means, but instead of being able to support ministry with them, she had to spend all of her money on doctors trying to stop her continual bleeding. And it's important that we understand why this condition was such a big deal. Besides the discomfort and the pain that would come, obviously with this terrible 12 years of unending bleeding. In that culture, her bleeding for 12 straight years would have made her unclean because you had to go seven days without bleeding to be clean, right? And she had been bleeding continually for 12 years. She would have been, because of this, prohibited from participating in any public communal worship. Plus, everything and everyone she ever touched was also considered unclean. So she was basically cut off from human contact. This woman was lonely, she was hurting, and she was desperate. She was desperate for her life to change. CA students, I wanna ask you, what do you do when you're lonely? What do you do when you're in pain? Who do you turn to when you're desperate? Do you distract yourself by surrounding yourself with people either in person, in a group, or maybe on your phone, that somehow make you feel less lonely? Or do you drown out the sound of your own thoughts with music, YouTube, Netflix, TikTok, etc.? Do you turn to drinking and partying to feel less pain even just for a little bit? Do you set up camp in your fear and your hopelessness and just let it overwhelm you and you become comfortable there? I mean, you're uncomfortable, but you're like, this is just how it is. Do you fill up your schedule with things to do and people to see and papers to write and clubs to go to because you just don't want there to be any free time for you to have to think about your pain and your loneliness and your desperation? I've done all of these things, every single thing on that list, and I still felt lonely and hurt and desperate after, and actually even more so. So let's keep reading, and let's see what this woman does. She came up behind him, Jesus, and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, master, The crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Okay, here we go. See, this starts with this woman no longer being hidden and anonymous, right? And she fearfully admits it was her. And let's pay attention to here, okay? What do Jesus' words say that bring the kingdom of God? And what do Jesus' actions do that bring the kingdom of God? See, even after she had been made well physically, Jesus recognizes the deeper need of needing her identity called out and restored. See, physical healing was her desire here. She was desperate for it, but Jesus had more for her. First of all, he stops for her when he easily could have kept going, right? He was in this big crowd of people. He has this important man with him. He has something to do, someplace to be, and it's A timely thing where someone's dying, but he stops for her. And then he gives her an opportunity to speak publicly. It says that she declared in the presence of all the people the why and the how of her encounter with Jesus. Then after, He calls her daughter, calling out her identity as a beloved, precious, valuable child of God after living 12 years being called an outcast who is dirty and unwelcome, cut off from community. Next, after that, Jesus doesn't stop there. He commends her incredible faith that took her from being lonely and hurting and desperate for life change to being made well. Her faith that believed if she could just touch the tiniest scrap of his robe, her whole life would be different. And finally, Jesus blesses her with peace. Wow. (laughs) This isn't just a healing story. It's a life transformation story. See, students, this is how the king proclaims and brings the kingdom of God. Bodies and souls are healed and restored. Oppressed people are given a voice. God-given identity is called out, and the darkness no longer has the final say. See, the last thing that Jesus is called right before he speaks to her is master. His disciple Peter calls him this when he points out how crazy it is that Jesus would be trying to find someone who touched his robe in a huge crowd of people that are all pressed in on each other. So he's been identified as master, and then he shows us what it means to be a master, to be the master, to be the king. It means to heal and to affirm and to love. See, his only concern wasn't just the task of physical healing. It's about all of that other stuff too. Jesus wants to meet the physical need. He does. But he really wants to meet the ultimate deeper need. She touched his robe and he touched her soul. Where in your life, where in your life, Are you hoping and praying that God will accomplish a task for you? But you're not realizing that maybe what he's trying to do, maybe what he's after is your identity and your purpose, giving you an opportunity to speak out about what he's already done, giving you peace and commending and encouraging your faith. Notice here that after he called her forward, she responds by falling at his feet. You know who else fell at his feet in this story? It was Jairus, the powerful man. I don't know if you guys heard, but Beyonce, she says, who run the world? Girls. (laughs) But, But no. God runs the world. Men don't run the world. Women don't run the world. And I'm so glad about that. Jesus is the king, and our response, both men and women, all of us, is to fall down at his feet in worship. As he simultaneously not only meets our needs that are expressed and obvious, but to give us value and purpose and peace. Because once again, that's the kind of king God is. He runs the world, but he wants us to participate in the running of it. See, when God created the first man and woman in the Garden of Eden, he gave them the beautiful task of co-ruling and reigning with him. Genesis 1:27 and 28 says this. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, all the animals that scurry along the ground. This is our purpose as humans, men and women, to work together to co-rule and to co-reign over God's good creation. Together bringing and proclaiming the kingdom of God. See, we look to Jesus for how to live. And this story shows us an example of how he acted and thought, how he accessed God's, the Father's power to heal, how he interacted with other people, how he treated the oppressed. It's when we do life with Jesus that we learn to do life like Jesus. And when we do life with Jesus, even and especially in the midst of our loneliness and our hurt and our desperation to have our lives changed. Jesus not only meets our obvious needs, but he meets the needs of our soul. He's met the needs of my soul. We're going to talk about this tonight in pods. And as we go into that time, the last question on the pod list is this. And I just want to give you guys a chance to think about it before we get there. It's think of a task prayer that you would like God to answer. What's somewhere in your life where you're just like, God, I need you to move in this area. I need you to change this circumstance. I need you to change this other person. I need this to be different than what it is. I need you to give me direction in this area. I need you to tell me where to go to college. I need you to change the heart of my parent's relationship. I don't know what it is. What is the task prayer in your life? And these are good things. I mean, this woman, her 12 years of bleeding, oh my goodness, that is the kingdom of God that Jesus would say no to the death and darkness of, that was sentenced over her life and say yes to heaven reigning over her life in the healing of her physical body, right? That's the kingdom of God. But it's not just that. So what is the task prayer in your life that you want God to answer? And then this second part. Where might he be also wanting to call out identity in you? Give you a new name. He calls her daughter where she had been called excluded. Or maybe he wants to give you purpose. Jesus gave her an opportunity. He didn't cut her off. He commended her after. After she spoke out what had happened, he calls her daughter, right? So maybe God wants to give you purpose and give you an opportunity to speak out what he's already done in your life. Maybe as you're praying this task prayer, God's like, Remember the last thing I did for you? Remember, give thanks. Give thanks and proclaim among all the people what God has done in your life. Maybe that's what he's leading you to in the midst of also answering the task that you're asking him for. Or maybe it's to encourage your faith. Jesus says to the woman, your faith has made you well. What an encouragement, right? That she had some part. She was participating in this with Jesus, that she reached out in faith and touched the hem of his robe, and it was her faith that made her well, accompanied by the power of Jesus that went out from him, right? So where is Jesus maybe trying to encourage your faith as you're praying this task prayer? Or maybe he wants to bless you with peace. This has happened so many times to me where I'm praying for something, I'm praying for something, and I just sense God saying, you know, I'm already answering it, and maybe you don't see it all right now, but in the midst of that, I bless you with peace, or maybe I already answered it, and you're just, like, wanting something different than what I already said, right? That happens, too, and he's, like, go in peace, because this is done, so, you can move on to something else because go in peace. It's going to be okay. I give you peace in this area. So, those are the things, you guys. Maybe he wants to call out identity in you to give you purpose or an opportunity to speak out about what he's done to encourage your faith to bless you with peace.